Thank you for joining us online at Hauser Community Church. Directly after the message, we'll tell you how to contact us if you have any questions. Now let's join the speaker as he begins his sermon. Good morning to you all. So I'd like to start uh, this morning with a story, um, whether it's true or not. Uh, actually, I do know since I'm kind of making it up as I go, but there were two associate pastors in a small community church along the northeast fork of the Southwest River in central upstate New York. They were dear brothers in Christ. They hung out together with their wives, their kids, and friend, they were friends, and they partnered on a Sunday uh, school class and men's Bible study. They lived close by. They even sometimes got together for dinner. Sometimes they vacationed and camped together. And every Wednesday, these two brothers would meet uh, at 9 o'clock and, uh, at an old-style diner with old-style coffee. And, uh, and they, would, they would pray together. They would study the Bible together. And almost always, there would be a laugh or two with them. Now, in mid-February, the senior pastor called them both in. And uh, he said, uh, you know, it's about time that you guys, I, I put you in the deep end here. So you're going to be preparing the Easter service, uh, the single most heavily attended Sunday of the year. The two pastors were like giddy with excitement. They began reading the accounts of the resurrection, and they noticed that uh, two Gospels, Matthew and Mark, said that there were two angels in the tomb, while Luke and John say there was one angel or one person in the, the tomb. And uh, they, they were confused, but they charged ahead and they, they dug into the writings all the way back to the early church fathers and all the way to the more recent uh, Christian academics. And uh, you know, was interesting is that one of them just sided with the one angel account and the other one just sided with the two angel account. And uh, at first it was kind of a thing of just, hey, here comes the single angel pastor. And uh, the other guy would say, are you sure it's just two? Maybe it's like three, four or five angels. You know, it's going to get crowded in there. And it was always kind of in jest. And then maybe a week or two went by and then the jests, you know, had a little barb, a little edge to them, and uh, it, was, um, it wasn't heading in the right direction, so to speak. And uh, so uh, the sad thing is the more they delved into this and they dug in their heels on this, the less they met together. They found excuses not to get together for coffee and fellowship, the less that their families got together the more they argued about other things when they got together, scripture and how to lead the men's group and church leadership in general. And then it happened. What happened? Well, the single angel pastor was sitting with his wife of 12 and a half years and, uh, and he said it. He said, I just don't want to be around those two angel people anymore. They make me angry and they're divisive. And uh, so, um, and you're, you're probably thinking, Rick, that's just really silly. That's a silly example of anything. But uh, let me just tell you that splits and divisions among Christians and churches happened hundreds, if not a thousand times in history. 
A thousand years after the resurrection, most of Christendom was either in the Western Roman Empire, which was headquartered in Rome, and the Eastern Roman Empire, which was headquartered in Constantinople. And there developed over probably 600 years or so a lot of differences between these two uh, areas. Uh, the, the East spoke Greek, the West spoke Latin. The East allowed their priests, even encouraged their priests to marry. The West forbade their priests to marry. The West believed in the infallibility of the Pope. The East didn't recognize the Pope's papal authority, and they had their own patriarch. But they still communed together. They got together over issues of orthodoxy. However, in 1054, the West, without consulting with the East and with their brothers in Christ there, they decided to add one Latin word to the Nicene Creed, which equals about three or four English words. And that was the straw that broke the camel's back. And this is, this is known as the great schism in history to this day separating the Catholic Church from the Orthodox Church. As you read in the New Testament, which I hope you all do, you will very well know that most of the letters to the churches have this strong component of defending the faith and defending the unity and the oneness of the believers. The word oneness, just to be clear, is not in the Bible uh, per se. But unity is used and the prayer and the encouragement to be one with God and to be one with the believers is also used. And this brings us to, actually, to the biblical importance of one. Jesus himself was often challenged by the religious class of his day, the scribes and the Pharisees usually, trying to test him, trying to trick him, trying to catch him in a contradiction, and, and, and better yet, from their perspective, if they could catch him in a lie, which they never did. But one case, in one case, he said to their attempted entrapment, from the beginning, it was not so. From the beginning, it was not so. In other words, uh, the Lord was pointing them to the fact that their view had been corrupted over time. Their scriptures. It was, what, it was what God intended versus what God allowed due to what the hardness of their hearts. But if we go all the way back to the beginning in the Garden of Eden, there was one God, there was one enemy of God, there was one man, there was one woman, and there was one tree that you should not eat of. Of all the trees in the garden you can eat of, including the tree of life, but in the, in the day that you eat of this tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall surely, what? Die. You shall surely die. So that's, this is the intro to the importance of oneness. Hear, O Israel, in Deuteronomy, the Lord our God is one. And this is echoed even by our Lord Jesus Christ in Mark 12, when, surprise, surprise, a scribe comes <laughs> to ask him some questions. And he asks him, what is the greatest commandment? And this is what the Lord's led with. Now, when you read this, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, 
It doesn't sound like a commandment. It's kind of a proclamation, but he follows it with a command. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And we're going to see that to love your neighbor uh, is really important in maintaining the unity of the believers. God also chose one people. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. Who were these people? They were, you could call them Hebrews, you could call them the children of Israel, you could call them later Jews. And then he also chose one place to put his name, but I have chosen Jerusalem, that my name may be there and have chosen David to be over my people Israel. So one God, uh, one people, one place that he chose to put his name and for his presence to dwell there. The view of the oneness of God and the oneness of the faith that Christ taught and brought to us, Paul picks up in speaking to the Ephesians. There is one body, one spirit, just as we were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. And then going down to verses 11 through 13, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith. And then in Corinthians, it says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree that there be no divisions among you but that you be united in the same mind and in the same judgments. A couple of more. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit were we all baptized into one body, Jews and Greeks, slaves and free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. And then finally in Romans, may the God of endurance, in Romans, there we go, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony and with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we have seen that the importance of the oneness of God the, of his people, his place where he puts his name, and where his presence abides. And this may be really good historically, but there's more to the oneness and the unity than a word study. Uh, there is this commanded blessing. So uh, Ken read uh, Psalm 132 and 33, and this, both of these psalms are called psalms of ascent. They're going up to Jerusalem. They're going up to the place that God put his name and his presence dwells. <clears throat> so this was the old covenant, as we have seen, <clears throat> that, uh, that Zion or Jerusalem 
uh, he put his name to house his presence. Uh, so, so just to be clear, Mount Zion to this day is in Jerusalem or maybe under Jerusalem right now. So they're the same place. And in fact, uh, you probably already know this because you're all really smart people, but Mount Moriah, uh, where Abraham was going to sacrifice Isaac before God stayed his hand, is also in Jerusalem. It's also the same place as well. <clears throat> but in the new, new Covenant, it's clear that the age has been changing. Stephen, in his defense, right before the martyrdom, said this, uh, yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands, as the prophet says. <clears throat> Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? And what is the place of my rest? Do my hands make all, don't, did not my hands make all these things? So in the New Covenant, in Timothy, Paul says that the church is the house of the living God. The church is the place. It's no longer Jerusalem. It, it is the church. Jesus said he would build his church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Paul said to the Corinthians, we are temple. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So it's not, it's no longer this place. It is all of the believers as the one church. In Psalm 132, it says David would not sleep until he finds a dwelling place for the Lord. But then the Lord chooses Zion. And so these two psalms are uh, typify something even for us. So uh, there are seven blessings listed in 130, Psalm 132. The first is a resting place. So I don't know about all of you, but when sometimes we, uh, it's a, when we come in to uh, meet with the church, when we're here together, there's a certain sense of rest, and uh, there's so much agitation in the world. Uh, outside, you know, there's a lot of agitation, a lot of issues, a lot of things that can usurp our rest and make us uh, uh, anxious, which we shouldn't be, and agitated, which we shouldn't be. Uh, but sometimes when we come together, it's like this rest, and it's a place of rest for us. And then it is a dwelling for God. So this is where God is dwelling. And then it's blessed with food. It'll, be ble it'll bless, the, the provisions will be there for us. Even the poor will be satisfied with bread, right? And then it says the priestly garments. Uh, in the, we don't have to be born, this is wonderful, we don't have to be born a Levite to exercise our priestly function. We are a kingdom of priests. At any moment, at any time, we can come to the throne of grace. We can pray. We can, we can pray to our God and, uh, and ask for things and, um, and to, for blessings. So we don't have to put on special clothes. We don't have to go through all this ritual because it's all been done for us by the blood of Christ 
and we can approach the throne of grace at any moment. So we are the priests, and we have the garments already. The horn of victory over the enemy. Christ has defeated the enemy already. The enemy may not know it yet, but his time is short, and he will be defeated. He has been defeated. An enlightening lamp. So this is obvious, that when we come together in the word, that the light shines, and we see things, hopefully, If our minds are open, if our hearts are open to receive, we're going to be illuminated and we're going to see things. And then a shining crown. And whether that's this age or the next, I know not. I know what's in the next age for sure. (laughs) We have a helmet, I know, (laughs) in this age. But I think we will get a crown in the next. And then it says, let your saints shout shout for joy. And then in Psalm 133, it begins, behold, That's a word to get your attention. Behold how good and how pleasant it is when brothers, and I'll say, and sisters dwell together in unity. I'm saying sisters because the word brothers and men in the Bible is, it was a a word that's all encompassing for everybody. So, um, you may think these two words, uh, good and pleasant, are the same kind of word, but they're really not. <clears throat> Let me take some more uh, do of Herman here. Hold on. <clears throat> they're really not. You can have, let me explain it this way. You can have a good job. The pay is really good. The, the benefits are really good. But it's not a pleasant job. You have a tyrannical boss. Your coworkers are gossiping, backstabbing people. So that would not be a pleasant job, but it, it's a good job. And conversely, you can have a pleasant job. Man, I make my own hours, and I get to golf every afternoon, and you know, it's just wonderful. It's so pleasant. I just work from home. Uh, it's great. And, uh, but it's not a good job because you know, you don't get, you get paid minimum wage or something. So it's not, so these are not, these are not the same word. Uh, they both mean something. And here he's talking about <clears throat> where we dwell together in unity is both good and pleasant, right? It's both good and pleasant. And then the word dwell, I want to focus on when, where uh, brothers and sisters dwell together in unity. Um, dwell does not mean, does not evoke, does not mean that two hours on Sunday morning. That's not what that word means. It means, brothers and sisters, that we are connected always, that we're connected together. When people, when we get the prayer list every week or more, that we're connected that way, that we pray for those who are on the prayer list, uh, and that connects us with each other so that when we see each other, even on Sunday morning, our hearts kind of leap a bit because we're, we're connected already uh, to each other. <clears throat> we, and it's like the verses that say, if, if, uh, if uh, uh, one suffers, we all suffer, and if one rejoices, we all rejoice. That's because of our connectedness here together. And then there are these two <clears throat> similes, because it says uh, this is like, which means it's a simile. So it's like the precious ointment 
that goes down on your head. It comes, both of these things, by the way, anointing oil and dew come from above. Uh, so it comes down upon our head and it flows down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard. Aaron had a really, really long beard. And then it went all the way down to the skirts of his garment. <clears throat> and oil, anointing oil, uh, often typifies the Holy Spirit. So there's this anointing that we have from all the way down, our whole person. Uh, and then there's another simile that says the dew of, as the dew of Hermon, the dew that descends upon uh, the mountains of Zion. That's really interesting because Hermon is nowhere near Zion. So Mount Hermon is way up in the northeast. <clears throat> it's a tall mountain in uh, over 7,000 feet. And sometimes it even gets snow. I think they have a ski resort or something sometimes about three days a year when it snows there. <laughs> when it snows there. But, uh, but it's way up in the, way up in the north northeast. Uh, and uh, do, I, I actually read a paper on the importance of dew point in arid climates, which would be the Middle East. And uh, so the dew collects on the high mountains there. And it, you know, it runs down. And it goes into little tributaries and little creeks. And the creeks become little streams. And the streams become a river. And eventually, it goes all the way down to all the way down the Jordan. And uh, eventually, providing water and sustenance to uh, Jerusalem. So it's, it's an important um, aspect the, uh, of the oneness. It just covers us. It anoints us. It's like that. It's like the uh, water that, for growth and for life as well. So uh, it's all about that. And then um, I'm behind on my slides. I apologize. The prayer of oneness is in John 17. <clears throat> and it says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word, this is part of Jesus' prayer. When I say the Lord's prayer, it's not the Lord's prayer, our Father who art in heaven. That's his example to us to pray, but this is Jesus' prayer to the Father. And he's praying to the Father, and he says, sanctify them, and that means his followers then, in the truth, your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. Sanctified just means to be set apart, set them apart in truth. I do not ask for these only, meaning these who are around me, his disciples, his followers who are around me, but also, listen, for those who will believe in me through their word. Who's that? That's us. Okay, that's us. That they, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, to us, that they may be one, even as we are one. And then listen to this. It's very interesting. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me, and love them at, even as you have loved me. This is the prayer to the Father. Uh, from Jesus. So there's two things really going on here. One is, yes, so he's liking it to us. I mean, we need to be this way, but there is this spiritual 
connectedness that we all have. There is a spiritual oneness already. Why is that? Because we share a heavenly father, right? We've been born again. We share a heavenly father. And uh, we all have the indwelling spirit. We're all connected that way as believers uh, together. So, but there's this other component. So it can't just be a spiritual connection because Jesus says twice in this prayer that the world will see and believe. That the world will see and believe. So if we're just kind of going our way, yes, we're connected, we're brothers and sisters in Christ, but there's nothing to see about that, then how does the world believe? How does the world believe? So I think that it means really that there is um, there is this evidence, there should be this evidence of our oneness and our unity. It's almost like, uh, it's almost like as Protestants, we believe, you know, that we're saved by grace, by grace alone. But in James, it says, this should be evidenced by your good works. So you're not actually saved by your good works, Right. But, but the evidence of your salvation should be that you do good things. And I think the same way here is that we are connected spiritually. We have the oneness of the spirit. We have, but, but there needs to be something, the evidence of that. So we help each other. We, um, we, uh, we can be called upon to help each other. We can be called upon uh, to drive somebody somewhere, to provide meals, to do this, to do that. Something that, that anybody that is, a, that is not in the church, that is not born again, can see. And that may be attractive to them. Wow, these people, like, they help each other. They're not, you know, just silos, but they're really in this community of believers, and they love each other. You can see the love that they have for one another. So that is kind of, um, that is the prayer for oneness that we all should take. And then going on from there, unfortunately, I have to talk a little bit about the enemy of oneness. Uh, the devil is the enemy of our unity as well. Um, I mean, it says that the, that the enemy comes, the devil comes to kill, to steal, and to destroy and he wants to steal and destroy our unity and our oneness for sure. What usurps the oneness? Pride and arrogance, absolutely. Preferences, absolutely. Prejudices, absolutely. I don't like this modern worship music. I don't think guitars should be plugged into anything. I'm not, I don't believe that, but I'm just sharing that with you. <laughs> Everybody knows the drums are of the devil. <laughs> uh, I don't think Mike Gordon's here, but Mike Gordon was the first person to play drums at Hauser Community Church, and he got the permission from Mel and Jeannie Wiggers to do so, and then the Comet cards came in. <laughs> and uh, there was some good feedback from some, but there were some that said, you know, not probably those drums are of the devil, but maybe that's what they thought when they wrote the comic card. But uh, so this is great. This is a great story. Mike went to Jeannie and says, what do we do? Jeannie, I believe. 
under the influence and power of the Holy Spirit, obviously, gave Mike a three-word answer, play them louder. <laughs> Ask Mike, he'll tell you the whole story, it's really great. Play them louder. So, um, so anyway, we're, so this is the enemy for us. It is, it is the enemy of oneness, and he likes to mess with us all the time. And even in the first century, the Greeks, uh, who were kind of self-important because of their knowledge, were arguing with the Jews who were self-righteous. So that went on, on in the first century, uh, and, uh, and, and vice versa. So in the 15th and 16th century, from the moment the reformers began to reform, there was a difference of opinion, right? The Wesleyans split from the Calvinists. The Puritans wanted to purify the Anglican church because it looked too much like the Catholic church. The separatists were done with the Anglican church. It says, we're going to go take our ball and play somewhere else. We're going to call ourselves Congregationalists. Luther separated from the Catholic church. And the Luthers became the state church of Germany. Baptists in southern states of the United States in the mid-19th century uh, split from the Baptist church because they wanted to affirm slavery and they wanted to not allow African Americans into their church. And that, shamefully, was the case up until about 50 years ago. We divide over ageism. Young people want a hip church, so to speak, loud music, whatever, whatever. Us older folks like things a little more serene. <laughs> so um, we divide over ageism. We divide over how to baptize people. There's all these different ways, you know, baptizing by immersion, by sprinkling, forward, backwards, salt water, fresh water, whatever, whatever, whatever. Running water, uh, so we divide, and I'm not joking. I mean, and, and the worst one of all that, I believe, is our water only, and that happens as well. I have heard Christians say that I can only meet with Christians who share my end times views, and I think that's a really sad thing to say. So we, if I were to take a, 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 do a questionnaire, you know, it would probably be all over the planet here. So I couldn't even tell you my views of the end times, really. Pre-trip, post-trip, mid-trip, pre-wrath, whatever, whatever, whatever. Whatever Nicholas Cage said, that's probably what I believe, so. <laughs> we, we divide ourselves over tribalism. I am a Second Amendment Christian. I am a Republican, independent, Democrat, socialist Christian. Um, I am a blue-collar, a white-collar Christian. I'm an Asian, Hispanic, Texas Christian. We should not be hyphenated Christians. We should just be Christians. And I'm not advocating for Rick's universal worldwide church or anything like that. I'm not advocating that we go dynamating you know, all the denominations. Um, well, I, but I am advocating is this, as much as I am able in Christ, that we not be the cause of division in the body of Christ. We should maintain the unity of the faith with my fellow brothers and sisters. If you think that division is God's way of letting you get your preferences, well, let, listen to this. 
Um, if I were to go up to you and say, hey, in this church, somebody's dabbling in witchcraft and idol worship, you probably would be aghast, and you'd probably say, man, we need to go to the pastor. We need to do something about this right away, right? But listen to this. Now, the works of the flesh are evidence. Sexual immorality, check. Impurity, check. Sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, ooh, ooh. Uh, enmity, that hits home. Strife, yikes. Uh, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Tough words. Those are hard words uh, to, to link divisiveness, sectarianism in with all these horrible, horrible things, uh, but they are. And finally, we do get to the antidote. I was uh, joking earlier that I had a fear that I was going to say anecdote, and, uh, but that's, I'm the only anecdote here. So the antidote to the poison of divisiveness. And uh, so let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ uh, forgave you. Is that the last one? Bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving one another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so also must forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Division has, and this is a hard word, so I apologize, but has visited this very place. Division has. The details are not important in this context. However, I can say with some absoluteness, it damaged Hauser Community Church, it damaged the body of Christ, and it damaged our testimony to the world. Yet, if I feel, and I want to make it clear, if I feel anger uh, towards some, or hatred, or worse, towards some, then I believe I bear the responsibility to forgive. And if you were there then and you still harbor that, then I, I offer to you, you need to forgive and be forgiven as well. So I am the one who needs to repent and I am the one who needs to let God deal with the rest. Amen? Amen. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is a line uh, that can be crossed. We all know about Alexander the coppersmith and Hymenaeus and Philetus, for example, who undermined Paul's work in churches, usurping the faith and the testimony of Jesus. My parents named me Philetus. I'd be angry too, probably. I, um, so, yes, some can come into our meetings here. Some may come into our meetings here and in our space and with their special knowledge of something or whatever, they can start 
trying to change things and become what is a, the definition of a sectarian or divisive person. Uh, and Paul has some words uh, for those people, but avoid foolish controversy, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing to do with him. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. God loves our oneness, our unity of the faith. Jesus prayed for it. There's a blessing associated with our dwelling together, our connectedness, taking care of the one body of Christ in the unity of faith, even commanding a blessing here. Since I'm partial to happy endings, I'd like to tell you what happened to the rest of the story. Uh, that I'll tell you that these pastors, because they stayed in the word of God, they stayed in fellowship, they had a senior pastor who counseled them, and their wives secretly called each other every day and prayed for them. <laughs> and I will say in 90 plus percent of the time, the wives, brothers, if you were to be honest, are the wiser one. Amen. I got one amen. I mean, even the sisters didn't say amen. <laughs> right? <laughs> so one of the pastors was walking past the coffee shop where they once met, and, they, and he saw the other one there with the Bible open. He went in, and they repented, they wept, and, and they prayed. So that's... And, the, and by the way, the Easter service... Uh, uh, was, uh, in the words of 93-year-old Sister Beulah, most glorious. The antidote, my brothers and sisters, is to love one another more than your special knowledge, more than your end times views, or anything else for that matter. Paul says, for now, listen, we see, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face, now I know in part then I shall, be, I shall fully know, even as I have been fully known. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, for uh, your word. Thank you that you, you love the church, your church, the church that you built, and uh, the one church for all the believers. Let us, Lord, uh, hold true and take your words to to light, Lord, that we would be those who love, who forgive, who care mostly about the unity and the oneness of the believers, the oneness of saints. If somebody is off, we call attention to it, we talk to them, we fellowship with them, and, in a, and we hopefully set their feet on the right path. Lord, we just pray that we can't do this. We can't do this on our own. There's nothing within us uh, that is a peacemaker. That is all about you. You dwell within us. You are the one who can make this work and happen, and you do. So, Lord, just have your way with us. Thank you that you can build your church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us at Hauser Community Church Online. Check back next week for the next unpacking of the Word of God. Please feel free to contact us with any questions you might have about the message or for pastor at area code 
or email us at pray at hauserchurch.org. Again, that's P-R-A-Y at H-A-U-S-E-R-C-H-U-R-C-H dot O-R-G. Our address is 69411 Wildwood Road, North Bend, Oregon, 97459. Remember, if you're seeking the truth, it will set you free. And that truth is Jesus Christ.